So uh, we're going through the Bible. Uh, you can open up to Luke 18. We'll also have the verses on the overhead. And we're looking at the rich, young ruler. Kind of interesting, this uh, title. Most of us have heard of the rich, young ruler. Well, it's only in Luke's gospel that he's called a ruler. Uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John call him, uh, that he, uh, they say he has great possessions. Uh, Luke's gospel tells us he's a ruler. Luke's gospel tells us he's very rich. And then uh, Mark's gospel tells us he was a young man. And you put it all together and you get a rich, young ruler that comes to Jesus. He's probably a Jewish a ruler, a Jewish leader. Because the questions he asked have to do with Judaism. And if you remember like Nicodemus, if you go back to John 3, it says Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a ruler of the Jews. He was a, a leader of the Jewish people. And so this is uh, probably some type of Jewish leader. He's young, he's rich, and he has this question. A, a certain ruler asked him saying, good Teacher, So this is interesting because uh, the Jews never called men good. So for this guy to be a ruler in Judaism and be calling Jesus good, uh, that it, it evokes uh, a question. What, what it, who does this guy know Jesus to be? We'll get into that in a minute. Good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So that's uh, the question that all the religions of the world ask. All religions have this in common. All religion is, is what, I got, what do I got to do? If you're a Mormon, you've got to do a lot to be saved. You've got to be part of the church. You've got to be married in the church. You've got to tithe. There's a whole list of do's. If you're a Jehovah Witness, there's a whole list of do's. If you're a, a Muslim, well, there's lots you have to do. If you're a Hindu, you've got to do, 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 or you might come back in a lesser life form. So you, you better make sure to do a lot of good things so that you come back as a higher life form. And all the religions of the world are wrapped up in doing what we have to do to have eternal life. The problem that the Bible presents, the problem is our sin. Our sin makes a separation between us and God. It's not that his ears uh, not long that he can't reach out and, and save you. It's not that his ears deaf that he can't hear you. But there's a problem. There's a sin problem in the way of sinful man and a holy God. And what you need to understand is no amount of doing solves the sin problem. You can pray and pray and pray. There's still a sin problem. You can work and work and work. You can build orphanages. You can give. You can, you know, what, volunteer. But that doesn't solve the sin problem. That's the problem that the Bible presents. And Paul came to realize as a very, very religious man that he spent much of his life thinking that he was clothed in all of his re religious garments and that he was presentable to God. But when Paul saw himself in the glory of Jesus Christ, he had a revelation that everything I've been trying to do is just dung. Paul actually began to realize, I thought I was clothing myself acceptably, but really I'm clothed in dung. All of my, you could think of all of your do is just that. It's dung. It's do do. If you just keep doing, it's do. do. It's it doesn't doesn't make you presentable to God. And Isaiah, he also saw the Lord, and he said, when he saw the Lord, "Woe is me, I'm an, I'm unclean." And Isaiah says this. He says, "All of our own efforts to be uh, righteous." He says, "Really, you're just clothed in filthy." Rags. It's the type of rags that a leper would wipe his oozing sores. That's, that's the way that we're clothed in our own efforts, our own doing. Of course, this is why, this is the revelation of, of the Bible, why Jesus came. John one twenty nine. this is John the Baptist said, Behold, open up your eyes. The greatest of all the prophets 
in the Old Testament, John the Baptist had the, uh, the privilege of showing us the Messiah, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. So the Lamb of God means he's the fulfillment of all the Old Testament sacrifices. And in the Old Testament, they had to keep offering sacrifices because the word for atonement is uh, kafar, which means covering. Year after year, they would, they would kill the sacrifices and it would make a, um, a covering, but it never took away the sin until finally Jesus came shedding his eternal blood. And he didn't just cover, but he took away. That, that becomes the message of the New Testament. Not year after year, sacrifice after sacrifice, but the message of the New Testament is once for all. Jesus went to the cross once for all to take away, to completely remove the sin of the world. And of course, when we come to Jesus and our sin is removed, that's when eternal life starts. Now we can know God. Now we can walk with God. Now we fellowship with God. And uh, it was there on the cross that Jesus cried out those words, it is finished uh, we're just a couple weeks away from our Good Friday service. And on Good Friday, back at 7 o'clock at night, we'll all uh, be here worshiping and taking communion and remembering that Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished, or uh, the Greek uh, word tetelestai means paid in full. Jesus cried out, it's paid in full. Right? I have a debt I can't get rid of. No amount of doing gets rid of my debt. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. He paid your debt. He paid it in full. And, and times of antiquity, when a man would pay for his crimes, they would give him a parchment stamped to lest It's been paid in full. And you would keep that parchment to show that you had paid the penalty and you wouldn't have to be tried for that crime again. And so Jesus, he, he finished the work of the cross. What, what is it we can do? There's nothing we can do. The message of the New Testament is what Jesus did for us. Here's an interesting uh, um, account in John chapter 6. They came to him, uh, the people came and said to him, once again, it's the, the do question. What shall we do? What do we got to do? This time they say that we may work the works of God. And it's the, the context is so that we can be saved. What do, we, what do we gotta do to be saved or have eternal life? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That's the actually, actually the only thing you can do to have eternal life is believe in Jesus Christ. To believe in the one who paid for your debt. In believing in him, he removes your sin and he gives you his righteousness. And in that moment, you're saved. So let's come to verse 19 again. Jesus said to him, this ruler comes and says, A good teacher, what must we do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why, why do you call me good? That's kind of interesting that uh, the Jewish people don't call men good. Why, why are you calling me good? No one is good but one. That's the reason the Jewish people never called men good because only God is good. So are you, are you calling me God? Do you by calling me good teacher, do you recognize that I'm God? Interesting uh, where this man is at because oh, there's only one who's good. That, that's God. Are you calling me good teacher? Are you recognizing that I'm God? Because God is good. And this becomes a theme of the Bible that just, uh, I don't know how many, a dozen or two, at least two dozen verses that strongly talk about God is a good God. Some of the earliest ones, maybe you can think of, of some of your own, but Exodus 34, 6, the Lord God is abounding in goodness. He's so good, it's just abundant. 
Goodness is just abounding, cascading out of him. Another uh, verse is Psalm 73, where it says, truly God is good. And this is an interesting psalm where uh, the psalmist, he got his eyes off of God. And it seemed like wicked people were living blessed lives. And he says, you know, when I look at the wicked people and the way how blessed their lives are, he goes, I almost declared to this younger generation, you know what? Don't live a pure life. It doesn't pay. And he says, I almost sinned against the next generation. And he came to the conclusion when he wrote the the psalm is, the truth is God is good. God is a good God. Psalm 119, uh, the psalmist says, you are good and do only good. So we could just go on and on this morning. It's not our our point, but a taste of the Lord. You can finish it. Taste of the Lord and? Taste of the Lord and? See that he's good. Uh, You know, over and over, the scriptures talk about how good the Lord is. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good good. He's a stronghold to those who trust in him. And on and on, he's the good shepherd in the New Testament. And But I think when we understand that that there's one who's good, God is good, uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is revealing in our, our text that he's not only good, but there's only one who's good, God is good. And Jesus is revealing that he's God, and Jesus is revealing that he's good. And, you know, as we um, understand that the Lord is good, a lot of times in our life we'll face things that we don't understand. And it'll seem like, that's the key phrase, it will seem like God's not good. We'll face things, and here's another key phrase, I'll feel like God's not good. And when it seems like God is not good or when you feel that God is not good, you know, when, when I think the mature response for the believer when hard things are happening, the mature believer says, why not me? Why not me? We live in a fallen world. We live in a world that is filled with sin. We live in a world in which everyone is dying. Why, why not me? That doesn't mean God doesn't love me. doesn't mean God's not good. Why, why not me? Why, why wouldn't sinful things in a sinful world happen to me or my family or the ones I love? But, you know, when we face things that we don't understand, it's always important to fall back on what we do know for certain. It doesn't seem like God is good in what I'm going through. But you know what I know for certain I fall back on? It's unnegotiable. God is good. I may not feel like God is good, but when I feel like that, I've got to fall back on what I know to be bedrock truth. And that is God is good. And so what, uh, why do you call me good teacher? Only one, one is good. I wonder if you know who I am. Only one is good. Only no one is good but one, that is God. And so Jesus said to him in this discourse, uh, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. And then he goes on in verse 20. You, so you want to know what to do? Let, let's talk about what to do to have eternal life. Verse 20, you know the commandments, so I'll give, I'll give you some things to do. You want to do? Do not commit adultery. Do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness. You want to do, do, do all of these things. Honor your father and mother. And verse 21, this rich young ruler said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And isn't this interesting? Um, religion has left him empty. Religion, religion does leave us empty. All the religions of the world Leave people empty. He's still searching. Yeah, I've, I've tried all that. And you, you hear in his voice, he has riches. You're going to read it. He's very rich. But he's still searching. He's powerful. He's a ruler. But, but he knows there. Yeah, yeah, I know. I've, I've done all those from my youth. There must be more. 
Now, understand that um, in Jesus' day, the Jews, including this ruler, they interpreted the law incorrectly. Yeah, yeah, I've been doing all these since my youth. And they interpreted the law. Paul interpreted the law before he got saved. He said, concerning the law, I'm blameless. Whatever the law says, yeah, I'm doing that. I'm blameless. But then uh, Rabbi Jesus came and taught, and the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus taught that the law doesn't just govern your physical world, but the law The law doesn't show you that you're blameless. The law is also spiritual. It's not just physical. And Jesus said things like, uh, you've heard it said you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you hate your brother, you're guilty of murder. Or Jesus said, you've heard it said, it's not just physical, it governs it governs you spiritually. It governs the attitude of your heart. It governs your motives. It governs your thoughts. Jesus said, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And, and this young ruler would be like, yeah, yeah, I've, I've done that since my youth. Well, Jesus would say to the young ruler, I say to you, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, then you're guilty of breaking that commandment. Doesn't just govern the outward. It governs the, the inner thoughts, the inner motives. And um, in Romans 3, as Paul would write, once Paul got saved and, and he realized that he was viewing the law incorrectly, Paul would write this. We know that whatever the law says, it says that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. The law, the law doesn't show you, yeah, yeah, I've been doing that. I'm, I'm right with God. What else do I have got to do? The law shows you, know, there's, there's a problem. There's, a, there's sin in your life. And that sin is separating you from God. Shows me that I'm guilty. We're all guilty. You're guilty of breaking God's law. You're not to commit adultery. Have you lusted? You've, you've broken God's law. You're not to murder. Have you hated someone? You've broken God's law. There's separation between uh, you and God. Have you stolen anything ever? You're guilty of breaking God's law. Have you ever lied? Does that show you that I'm blameless before God? No, it shows all of us, yeah. I've broken that too. Have you always honored your mother and father? Does it, you don't stand confident before God. I've always honored, maybe you do. I mean, I, I stand before God a terrible sinner when it comes to always honoring your mother and father with the highest possible honor, right? All of, all of these commandments are interpreted correctly. Paul would go on and he would say this too. Galatians 3.24 Therefore, the law, here's the correct understanding. The law is our tutor. It's like a school teacher to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith in Jesus. So the the law is the school teacher. The The school teacher takes you to school and the school teacher puts your life next to the law of God and you go, yeah, I, I, I'm, I've definitely been guilty of hating someone, even today. You know, uh, I've definitely been gu- guilty of lusting. Boy, that's a real struggle for me. I've definitely lied before. I've definitely uh, stolen. And, and the tutor shows you that, yeah, you need a savior. You need a Messiah. You need a Christ. Christ means Messiah, and if you'll come to Christ, this is, the, this is the, the diamond at the center of the whole New Testament, you'll be justified, just as if I'd never sinned. Through faith in Christ, he removes all of my sin. And through faith in Christ, he lived a perfect life for 33 years, fulfilling every single commandment of God. Jesus even said he fulfilled the punctuation marks. Even even like the little dots on the I's and the crosses on the T's. He so perfectly fulfilled God's law that he fulfilled even the punctuation marks. And justified means his perfect righteousness 
has been deposited in my account. And it, it, it actually carries the idea of a legal declaration where the gavel is slammed down in heaven and Rob Verdine is declared righteous. I'm justified. Christ's righteousness is now what God sees. And that would be a, probably the most important question of the morning for you to ask yourself. Has that happened? Have you ever trusted Christ in such a way that you know your sin is a problem and you've received what Jesus did at the cross where he took your sin and paid for your sin in full and he's given you his righteousness. And that's the beginning of living a life right with God and knowing him and walking with him and following him. For, for some that's happened, for some that justification hasn't yet happened for you. And so verse 22, when Jesus heard these things, he, he said to this man, he heard this man say, yeah, I've, I've done, done all that. Done it all since my youth. Since I was a little boy, I've kept all these. He would be like Paul concerning the law. Yeah, I'm blameless. And he looked, when he heard these things, he listened to the man how he would interpret the, the scriptures. He's not just a, a man, he's a ruler, probably a leader of the Jewish people, as we said. And he, he heard him, he was waiting to hear how he was going to answer. And he said to him, now I included here, Mark's gospel tells us this, so Luke's gospel doesn't. Mark's gospel tells us he looked at him and he loved him. Here's this man searching he doesn't understand the scriptures correctly, sees himself as totally right with God when the truth is his sin is separating him and the truth is the Messiah is standing right in front of him and he was on the earth to die for this man's sin. Can you imagine that? He was there to die for him and he's, he's looking at this man like, I've come to die for you. I love you. And I think even in a crowd like this, it's, it's possible that you're, you're the one that the Lord is looking at. You don't yet have the correct understanding of your sin. You haven't yet come to understand that that's a problem. You haven't yet come to a place where you've been tutored to see that you have sinned and left on the path that you on, you're going to face the judgment of God. Christ went to the cross to take the judgment of God so you would never have to. But if you continue on a Christless path, you're going to take the judgment. And it might be that the Lord has, has got his gaze on you this morning and he wants you to know he loves you. He died for you. He is good. He is God. He came to carry out the, the, the best news mankind has ever heard that he would die in our place. And so it's interesting, he said to him, Mark's gospel tells us he's looking at this man, he loves him, and he says to this man, you still lack one thing. You're still lacking something. And, and the man's like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm empty still. What is it? What am I lacking? And everything they had quoted was on the second tablet of the law. The fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth commandment they had quoted but now Jesus is going to go to the very heart of the issue. You still lack one thing. Here's, what, here's the one thing. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So you're still lacking one thing. You know what the one thing you're missing? It's the first and greatest commandment. We can talk about the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth commandment, but the one thing is the first commandment, and we'll, we'll bring it up. Exodus 23, 20 verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And the amazing thing about the Ten Commandments is they were written with the finger of God. And here God in the flesh is putting his finger on this young rich man's sin. 
His sin is idolatry. His love for riches was greater than his love for God. He was living for earthly treasure. And God puts his finger on it. The problem is you're living for money. You've broken the first, the greatest commandment. I'm not, God's not first in your life. And so sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven and come and follow me. So is, is this the gospel? Is this the gospel that you have to distribute all, sell and distribute all that you have to the poor if you're going to come and follow Jesus? And it, it, the answer is both yes and no. For this man, it was yes. This, this was his sin. This is what repentance looked like. This is what denying himself looked like. He had to stop living for money and start living for Jesus. But that's not always what the gospel sounds like. Not that This is not the message to every person that has money. Because in, in a couple chapters, we're going to come to Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus is very wealthy. And he gets saved. But Jesus doesn't give him the same commandment. This idolatry wasn't going on in the same way that it was going on in this man's life where God was dealing with his sin. Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man, and this isn't the gospel that Jesus preached to Joseph of Arimathea. And so for this man, this was the Lord putting his finger on his sin. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. And so come. This is, We'll talk about it as we close this morning. Come is the call of the gospel. Whoever you are, Jesus is calling you to him. Come, come and follow me uh, to become a follower of Jesus. We would just conclude and see it again in this text. It's not just following truth. It's not just believing doctrine. I believe certain things and therefore I'm now a, a follower of Jesus. No, following Jesus is following a person. You've got to come to me and you've got to start following me. It's, we don't just follow doctrine. We don't follow truth. Every day isn't, I, I know Jesus died on the cross for me. He rose again on the third day. And, and you don't just follow truth. You follow a person. You're in relationship with the person, the risen Jesus. And on another account, uh, Jesus calling people sounded like this, just a little earlier, just such a pure call. Luke 9, 23, if anyone, that would apply to anyone here. If anyone, anyone listening today desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. There's going to come, it's going to, following Jesus in a pure way is going to be putting to death the self-life daily and it's going to be learning to follow Jesus daily. So uh, back to our text, when he heard this, that he had to sell all that he had and distribute it and, and give it to the poor, when he heard this, verse 23, he became very sorrowful, for he was very rich. And, and the other gospels tell us even a little bit more detail. Not only was he very sorrowful, but he went away. He wasn't willing not willing to do this, not willing to, to die in that way, not willing to part with my riches, my treasure. And so here Jesus looked at him and loved him and was on the earth to die for him and had given him the truth he needed to be saved and invited him to come and follow me. But this, this man, and often people, people hear the gospel and they're not willing. Uh, no, I'm, and, they, and they're, they're searching and God is putting his finger on what you need to die to, what you're actually living for. 
And a lot of people leave church on Sundays sad because they're, they're not, no, I'm not willing, to, not willing to put to death that part of my life. I want to keep doing that. And when Je- Jesus saw, verse 24, that he, when Jesus saw that, he became very so- sorrowful. And he said, oh, how hard it is for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God. It's hard. It's hard for rich people to enter the kingdom of God. And Jesus goes on to give a a little illustration. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a sewing needle, is what he's talking about. Well, yeah, that's not, (laughs) she's not going to be able to get a camel through a a sewing needle. That's right. That's, That's how hard it is for rich people to stop living and trusting and following and and their whole purpose for living is their riches. Easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Remember the uh, parable of the sower? We'll just talk about this uh, for a minute. Just talk about rich people. And, and uh, this particular rich man doesn't follow Jesus. He's searching and he leaves sad. And Jesus is sad that he leaves but remember when Jesus told the parable of the sower, he talked about um, there's a couple different responses when the gospel, the word of God is sowed. For some people, it's like a hard path. They hear the gospel and it just, just bounces on the hard soil. And then the, Jesus said uh, Satan comes and just snatches away that seed. They, it has no root in them. Other people, it's kind of like rocky soil and the word of God goes into their heart but because it's rocky, it's the, the dirt is very shallow, and the little plant immediately gets a little water, it immediately springs up, there's immediate joy, like, oh, this is wonderful, God's word, God's truth. But then it says, as soon as trials or difficulties or persecutions come along, because there's no root, that person falls away. Like, they, they came to church, they, they heard about following Jesus, they're really excited about it, but as soon as it gets hard, like, yeah, where's God now? I thought God was good. I thought he loves me. And, and they, they fall away. They don't have any foundation to fall back on. And Jesus said some seed lands among the thorns. And the, the plant wants to grow, but the thorns just choke it out. Now, you know, my testimony is I became a true believer in Jesus Christ. I was saved And the thorns just started to choke out what the Lord wanted to do in my life. And this is what Jesus teaches the thorns are. The cares of this world, Matthew teaches, the deceitfulness of riches. Mark's gospel calls it the desire for other things. Luke's gospel calls it the pleasures of life. Like there's lots of people that hear the word of God, but nope, not gonna, I'm not going to come, not going to follow Jesus because what I really want is, it, the, I really want the things of this world. I really want riches. I, I really want, there's just things that I'm, I want in my life and there's the pleasures that this world has to offer and that's what I'm, I'm going to follow. And it, um, Jesus said what happens, those thorns choke out the seed and it becomes unfruitful. Never bears fruit, just choked. And then, of course, there's the good soil. The good soil gives 30, 60, 100 full, just super fruitful plant. And there's just that warning. There's that warning that we're not that one, that what the Lord wanted to do is, is it, the, the deceitfulness of riches and living for, for treasures of this world and, and the desires of things and all that this world has to offer just chokes us out and we never become those fruitful people. Uh, l- listen to another text because you almost can't, for me I can't anyways, teach on this without going here because this is probably the strongest teaching in the New Testament that uh, fits with what we're talking about. And we'll bring it up. 1 Timothy 6.6. 6. Now, and you've probably heard it, but it's good to just let it wash over you. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. Our world does not teach this. Man, if you are a 
godly person and you know God and you're following God and Jesus is first in your life and you can know him and walk with him and follow him and just learn to be content. Oh my, what God will do. But our world uh, teaches the opposite, teaches us not to be content. And then uh, Paul goes on to say, for we brought nothing into the world. So just I want you to, to think of the whole purpose of life. You brought nothing into the world, and it's certain that you can carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with these, we shall be content. Men, learn to live simpler lives. Learn to be content. Learn to, learn to know God and to follow God. And you, you're just very easily content and not always needing more. But those who, and here's the warning, those who, des, in contrast, those who desire to be rich, right, that's my desire. I know the Lord, but I want to be rich. I, and... Those who desire to be rich, well, fall into temptation. They're tempted to do all kinds of things that might not be right to get rich. In a snare, well, there's all kinds of things like, I want the riches so bad, I'm willing to step there, and it might trap you. And many foolish and harmful lusts, like you're lusting so hard after things that it's that you're actually it's very foolish and even harmful the the path you're taking which drown men in destruction and perdition which is just uh, waste you just end up wasting your life instead of godliness with contentment and the great things God could do in you you're chasing riches and it's just drowning your spiritual life and you're wasting your spiritual life for the love of money this is often misquoted it doesn't say money is the root of all kinds of evil right often misquoted it's the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Na name an evil in the world. It almost always go back to the love of money. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith. There truly was faith, but instead of being content, they're just so driven to be richer and richer that they, it ends up, like the commentary of their life is, yeah, they just, during those years, they strayed away from following Jesus. And, and rather than marked by contentment, their life is marked by gr the greediness. And they've pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Like they're pursuing all these things to get rich. And it just ends up piercing your soul. All kinds of sorrows. But you, oh man of God, flee these things. Don't. Don't be trapped by riches. Be nothing in the world. You're not going to take anything out. You have godliness. You know the Lord. Learn to be content with little and discover all that he has for you. You, oh man of God, flee all, all these things, this desire to be rich and greediness and, uh, and pursue righteousness and godliness, and faith, and love, and patience, and gentleness. Now this gets introduced into our, our commentary on our struggle with riches. Fight the good fight of faith. Man, we are all in a fight of our life because everything in the world is telling us we got to have more. i got to earn more. You know, it's a funny thing. Anyone who makes $100,000, they wish they could make $150,000. And anyone who makes $150,000 and drives those cars, they want the $250,000 lifestyle. And it's amazing how often this, this, the stories are people that have so much and they're going to prison, they're going to jail, because they want the $500,000 lifestyle. And the people that have the $500,000, they want the million lifestyle. And they end up drowning and being pierced through so many sorrows. Fight the good fight. And here's how you fight the good fight. I don't know if, if it'll impact you the way that God wants it to, but lay hold of eternal life. Get hold of eternal life. 
and use your temporary life for eternal things. I'm I'm not just going to spend my life for treasures that are going to be left behind when I die, but I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. Laying hold on eternal life means you get it. You get it. I'm not just living for 70 or 80 years. I'm living for eternity. My life, my gifts, my resources, my energy, whatever I have, I want to use it to make an eternal investment. In verse 26, we come back to our story. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? If this guy, this, this guy, he's kept the law since he was a youth and, and he, he's leaving unsaved, who can be saved? But he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. Or, or Matthew's gospel says it just a little differently. It says, with men, salvation's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Who can be saved? With men, it's impossible. You cannot do enough to be saved. You can't be good enough to be saved. You can't be religious enough to be saved. You're doomed. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. God has made a way. Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he didn't want to go to the cross and take the wrath of God in the place of mankind. He was struggling and he was praying, Father, if it's possible, let this cup, the cup of your wrath that I'm going to drink on the cross, let it pass if it's possible. And he said, nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. And he was wrestling and he prayed again. And one of the gospels says he was in such agony, he began, his capillaries began to burst And he began to sweat blood because he was in such struggle that he didn't want to go to the cross and bear the wrath of the world. One gospel says an angel had to come and strengthen him. So much warfare in that moment that he concluded, Father, if it's possible, let it pass. Nonetheless, not my will be done, but your will be done. Father, if it's possible. And three times he finally realized it is not possible for man to be saved apart from the cross. Father, I'll go. I'll take the wrath once and for all. With men, it's impossible. With with God, all things are possible. And Jesus made a way possible for sinful man. But as he told this rich man, you've got to come to me and follow me. I want to end with just some of the strong calls of the gospel for us to come to Jesus like this man was being called to come. And we'll just finish the morning and we're going to take communion. In uh, John 6, 35, Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And he, it's amazing how often it is. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. If you're going to have the bread of life, if you're going to believe in Jesus, you've got to come to him personally. Listen to another, just a couple passages in closing. On the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, if anyone is thirsty, anyone thirsts, let him come to me. It's the only way you can be saved. You can't just recite truth. You've got to personally Come to Jesus. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And you come to him in a way that you believe in him. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Right? Jesus has just rivers of spiritual life he wants to flow out of you. It all starts when you come to him personally and believe in him. Listen to another one. Just two more verses and we'll finish this morning. In fact, the worship team can come back up. Matthew eleven twenty eight, probably the one we all know. This is probably the verse we know the best. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Let me tell you who Jesus is talking to. In Judaism, they counted 613 commandments. 
This is, who, this is who's listening to Jesus. 365 do nots every day. I got to make sure 365 things I don't do. 248 do's. Every day, 365 don'ts, three, uh, uh, I lost track of it. 365 don't, uh, uh, 248, 348, anyway, 613th commandments. They're, they're counting. And on top of that, the religious leaders were putting their teachings on those teachings on the people. And the people were just exhausted Doing, 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 don't do, doing, doing, don't do. And what do I have to do? Like, who could ever do all that? And Jesus says, come to me, all you who, are, who labor and are heavy laden. You're just, I mean, they were just loaded down with all these things they're supposed to do. And I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me. We're not an agrarian society, but everyone listening to him pictured the yoke of oxen coming under the, the, two team, the two oxen coming under the yoke. And every one of them knew Jesus was saying, hey, just come under the yoke with me. Let me do the pulling of you being right with God. Just take my yoke upon you. I just want you to learn from me. I'm gentle. I'm lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. Let me carry your righteousness. You just come to me. I just want you to come close to me. I just want you to learn from me, walk with me. But it all starts by coming to Jesus. And then the last verse we're going to read, the book of Revelation ends. The spirit and the bride say, come. This is the message of the church. This is the gospel. The gospel is you've got to come to Jesus. The Spirit's telling you to come to Jesus this morning. The church, you're at a church service and the message is come to Jesus. And let him who hears say, come. Soon as you hear the message, the Lord wants to start using you to call others to come. And let him who thirsts, are you thirsty? Are you, are you seeking and you know that there's more? Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Let's uh, stop there this morning. And we're going to take communion this morning. And um, we're just going to take a minute to pray and just thank the Lord. Lord, we just thank you for the, the gospel. We just thank you, Lord, that, Lord, we would say you are a good teacher. You are good your plan in coming to the earth is good. You are God. And you, you came, Lord, you, you see us and you love us. And you came to die for us. And Lord, we just acknowledge that this morning. And I, I don't know who you are this morning. I don't know where you're at in, in uh, your life. I don't know what uh, place you're on in your journey. But, but those of us that know the Lord, why don't we just tell them that, Lord, you're so good. You are so good. And we're going to take communion this morning. Those of us that know the Lord, we're going to actually come to him in, at the communion table. And we're going to take the bread and the cup back to our, our seats and we're going to contemplate and we're going to remember what he did for us. He, he loves us. He, he went to the cross for us. Why, why don't we stand up and we'll just, we're not, I'm not going to call you forward just yet, but let's just stand up. We're going to come to the, the communion table. Maybe, uh, maybe you're someone that you're seeking. You know there, there has to be more. And the truth is you're not yet justified. You haven't yet come to Christ in a way that he's taken the punishment for all of your sins. And, and you haven't come to him in a way that he's put his righteousness in your account. 
And that's a very clear line. Whoever you are right, right now, you could just identify that. Lord, I want that. I want to know that your righteousness is in my account. You paid for my sins and I'm justified. I'm declared legally righteous. Christ's righteousness in me. If that's never happened, wherever you are, just just tell the Lord, Lord, I, I want that. I want to come to you. I don't want to just know about you, but I want to come to you in such a way that that happens this morning. Could it be that you know about the Lord, but you've never come to him? I don't know why that is. I don't know why it takes longer for some of us. Is it possible you've never come to him and believed him and it's a certainty that he's taken your sins and he's put his righteousness in your account? Because you can, you can cross that line right now. You can say, Lord, I want to cross that line. I'm willing to come after you. I, I, will, I will deny myself. I will take up my cross, put to death the old life. And I want to start following you. I want to come to you and follow you and be yours. that's never happened just cross that line let the lord know lord i want to i want to come to you i want that and just you can just tell him i surrender my life to you maybe your whole life you've just been missing like just that intimacy with jesus coming to him and just saying to him, Lord, I, I now surrender my life to you. I just want to come under the yoke with you where you pull all the heavy weight of me being righteous. I can't do it. I can't be good enough. And the rest of your life, you won't have to try to be good enough because you're yoked with Christ. He did it all for you. just tell the Lord, yes, Lord, I want that. I want to be yoked with you and I want to learn from you. And and I'm just going to have you pray that prayer. I want that rest for my soul. There's no, there's no, been no rest in my soul. I want that rest for my soul that I'm yoked with you. I'm yours. Just pray that if you, if that resonates with you, I want, I need rest for my soul. Because of the finished work of the cross. We're going to take communion. I'm going to invite you to come. Take the bread, the cup back to your seat. And whenever you're ready, you can, uh, during this last song of the morning, you can partake and just give thanks to the Lord for what he did for you that you belong to him.